during this, uh, this um, break, whatever this was, there's been kind of, a, uh, kind of a hard reset on kind of some of our values and what the Lord has put in our heart. And so I'm going to say some things to you guys that I've said before, that you, that you that know me, and I'm going to be banging the same drum, but I just kind of want to make the point in a bigger way. And so I want to talk about um, a house of prayer cultural revolution that I think the Holy Spirit is up to in the, in the body of Christ. If you weren't here at 535, I read out of Isaiah 56 verse 7, Isaiah prophesied, um, and I've got, Dina, you can jump around here with me, but it says, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and that these are the Gentiles. It's a really powerful passage you ought to read there in Isaiah 56, but uh, Isaiah is talking about the Gentiles coming into the covenant family, which would have been radical information to the Jews. And he said, I'm going to bring these to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. And so I'm always a little weirded out by, and I guess I get it, but people being bored with prayer, I get it because there's warfare, I get it because we're flesh, but actually prayer is made to be full of joy. He said, the Lord's saying, I'm gonna make them joyful in my house of prayer, and then their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted, I'll receive that from all the nations, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations and so in all the people. So in Matthew 21, which I read earlier, Jesus at the end of his ministry is going to come in and do arguably one of the most unusual things he does. And this is full of unusual things, This what this guy does, but he'll tear through the temple. And he's a rabbi that's kind of got a renown, but is being hated by the religious order. And so he comes in and he probably would have had no permission at all to do this, but comes in and you know the deal, turning tables over, turning money, they're all manipulate the culture at the core of worship of the only true God in Jerusalem, Zion, which will be the eternal city where God will reign forever. The culture of worship there was a manipulative one that had been turned into business, into market. And so they're like, you had to pay a Jewish tax. So you had to use the Jewish money. So they come with their Greek money or whatever it is, and they had to change it out and they were charging interest at high rates. They were charging high amounts for the goat and the sheep because you had to do a blood sacrifice. So he walks in and this thing is like, not got a heart turned toward the Lord. It's not a house of prayer, but it's a house of merchandise. And he calls it a den of robbers or a den of thieves. And those are quotes out of other prophetic writings. But what the condition he finds the church in is a condition that often the church gets in, which is a place where we've gone into practicing religion, manipulating religion into a way that's profitable for us, whether that be financially or it be get out of hell free card and I'm pro getting out of hell, by the way. I'm all into that. But the Lord wanted something more than a people who would just use him to get what they really wanted in the first place. And so he comes in and tears through it. The John will tell us, Matthew, Mark, tell us about the end of his ministry. John tells us at the beginning, the first Passover, after Jesus started his ministry, he did the same thing. There we get a little more information. He made a whip of cords. And he's literally the one who's going to heal people is thrashing people with a whip at the beginning of his ministry. It's like, oh, that's unusual. And again, a rabbi without permission. This is a scandalous thing that he's doing. But it's like bookends on his ministry of making this point, I want purity in my house. And what's purity in my house? Purity in my house is my house walking according to its identity. So I think it's really awesome or important for us to notice that he didn't say my temple will be called a house of prayer. He said my house. So when you and I Or if I said to you like Joshua, it's out of Joshua, as for me and my house, 
we're going to serve the Lord. Do you think I mean my brick house on 4670 East Mount Vernon? No. I mean Amy, my children, our children's children. So I mean my family. And so that's clearly what the Lord is saying here. My family is going to be known on planet Earth primarily by one activity. They'll do a bunch of activities. But I tell you, this is the thing that my family will be known by, and they will walk in. So think when you think house. The declaration is over his family. You and I are called the house of the Lord. I don't have time to unpack that. Paul calls us now the carriers of the Holy Spirit in the house. So this declaration that is prophesied 2,700 years ago, that Jesus said again 2,000 years ago, is said over your life. There is no one in the kingdom of God that's not called to prayer. Everybody's called to prayer, and everybody can know the liberty of moving beyond ought to prayer, boring prayer, to joyful prayer. Prayer is your true identity. No matter what lie you've believed or received or propagated, you're a prayer. You're a prayer. And let me just break down what we mean by that. By prayer, we simply mean heart-to-heart dialogue and communion manifest in, many, in multiple ways. Whether that's singing, speaking, listening, whatever it is, what we mean simply by prayer is dialogue with the living God. That you and I are having heart dialogue not, I've said this so many times, a ministry monologue or a, a, a monologue of meditation where I'm just sitting and thinking about God. Now, by the way, there's benefit to that. You thinking about God and thinking about the principles. But listen, you've not come into the fullness of what God saved you for if all you're doing is sit around thinking about him, arguing about what's in his book, arguing with other churches. You're missing the point. Yahweh saved you. The Lord God in heaven saved you through the gospel so you would love him. He wanted to empower your heart to walk out the first and greatest commandment to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so there's a thousand and one distractions, a thousand and one demons trying to keep you from a vibrant prayer life. And the Lord wants, I believe, to stir this up. So I'm biased because I'm a prayer guy, been in thousands of prayer meetings. We love prayer, but I'm biased because of my Bible. And I believe, and I'm stealing this from another preacher, but prayer is what makes you most human. You praying is what makes you mostly, most genuinely a human being. And what I mean by that, you're made by a creator that wants to interact with you. He wants to dialogue. It's the most human thing you can do. More than eating, drinking, sexing, whatever that you feel in your body, I'm telling you, you interacting with the invisible God by faith that you will move from faith to sight is the most glorious thing about you. It's an awesome thing. So, I believe the Holy Spirit, with consuming zeal, especially during COVID, is tearing through his family's house and heart in order to bring full restoration to their core identity. All of us are in an identity crisis when we struggle with prayer. In fact, I think the church globally, nationally, statewide, is recovering from gener- a generational identity crisis. I think there's been a plagued generational identity crisis for years. And here's what I mean by that. And, and I love the church. We're our disciple nations is for all tribes. I, I just don't want to spend any more time dogging churches in the way they do things. But I do want to speak to the core of what I think is the problem, which is this, is that we've struggled with this identity. The, it, the devil's primary mission, I really believe this, if he can't keep you from getting the gospel, then he's going to, after that, try to keep you from having a prayer life. 
Having an active, interacting dialogue with the living God because you become a vessel and a manifestation of the glory of God when you're relating with God. Does that make sense? So he's working overtime to steal this thing from you. And so the church throughout history has struggled. The Catholic church, the main, can anybody tell me, what was the main thing they would gather for? Can you remember? Have you been to a Catholic service? The main thing they gather for is not a sermon. It's not even songs, it's, it's the Eucharist. They come so they can do communion because they believe that becomes the body and the blood of Jesus. It's sincere, it's passionate. It's, I mean, these people, many of them are saved and born again. There's all kinds of ceremony in there, you know, that we've reformed and all that kind of from, but that was the core of it. John Calvin, Martin Luther, the Reformation happens, and suddenly they made preaching the main core of these meetings. We all kind of warm up for the sermon. We're sitting here right now and I'm talking to you, you know, and there's kind of a sermon going on. And so that became the main thing. When that happens, I think we can lose the culture of prayer that he main, he wanted us to do. So from this generational identity crisis, multiple things have happened. Let me go through these really fast because I'm going to run out of time. Number one, the priority of what we know became bigger than who we know. The priority of what we know, meaning do I have my doctrine right? And we need good doctrine, okay? But suddenly people could be satisfied because they've got accurate doctrine and not know the one that the doctrine's talking about. That's a travesty. I mean, it, I, to me, it's one of the greatest travesty on planet Earth is, and one of the greatest plagues in the body of Christ is that you can actually be a Christian without knowing the Christ, that's, that's, that shouldn't be possible, that you're growing in that. And so this, what we know, and it's important we know some stuff, but became more important than who we know, that's not right. And I think that's a fruit of the identity crisis. Number two, we've had the exaltation of sincere reasoning over wholehearted trusting. Like we're sitting in meetings, and I've been in them, and trying to figure out with Robert's rules of orders how to run the dynamic church of God. And, and I think, again, it's all sincere. We're trying to figure out how do people want to come to me? How can we make them want to come to our church services more? And I'm telling you, the thing that we should have in church services, like the book of Acts, is they, they were daily increasing in numbers, and no one else dared join them. Do you remember that? There should be both dynamics, that the presence of God is so strong that people want to be with us because they're touched by him, but there's also a fear of the Lord in that. Number three, we've had a diminished presence and lordship of the Holy Spirit. I think the main argument about the Holy Spirit is not gifts of the Spirit. I, we, we, I think we're distracted when we think it's a charismatic or not. I think the main controversy with the Holy Spirit is his lordship. This is the problem. We don't, he, he's the Lord. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The lordship is the thing that's irritating to us, not that if we speak in tongues or not. That, to me, that's periphery and gifts of spirit and prophetic. We, we love all the Bible and we love the gifts, but it's the lordship of the spirit and his lordship over our gatherings that is kind of a problem. Number four, we've had division of the kingdom, which is manifested in a not standing position. Jesus says that even the devil knows that a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. I think I've noticed, and I've had this experience the last five years, one of the most unifying things that happens in the body of Christ is prayer. I meet with my black brothers. I've got, we're about to get together again and try to rally a thing called Wichita United, some African-American, multiple pastors. I've been praying with them for quite a while. And 
Um, when we pray in Jesus' name, when I'm praying with them, by the way, I'm holding on for dear life because, I mean, they roar and they go and it's so fun and I'm just, oh, and I try to get in there and do my little weak white voice, you know, and do my thing. And, but we, we pray together and there's this radical sense of unity. There really is no judging according to the level of melatonin in our skin. I mean, we're all Gentiles. I'll say that to him. You're a, I'm a Gentile. You're a Gentile. You're a darker Gentile. I'm a lighter Gentile. But we've all been saved by Jesus. But when we pray, the unity begins to happen. And I think if there was more of a house of prayer culture, you and I wouldn't fight as much. I mean, I don't know if you've heard, I can't remember if it was Daryl Hurdy or somebody was telling us way back in the day, couples who pray together on a regular basis divorce at like one in 20,000. It was some crazy number. Those that don't are almost the same numbers as the rest of the, of the earth. And so there's something about prayer that puts this governance in us that protects us from that division. Just lastly, enemy access by a religious spirit that exalts procedural doing of religion over praying intimacy that brings kingdom transformation. I think that number five is one of the big things that's happened. It's what's happening when Jesus shows up is that there's a focus on the procedural doing of religion. You didn't do the Sabbath right. You didn't do the... And Jesus is transcending that because he's walking in a culture of prayer and sonship. And if we don't watch it, we're going to end up getting there if we don't maintain... A culture of prayer. Jim Simbola, who's the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. I don't know if you know this church, but I love this church because it is rare to know a church is famous for something. They're pretty famous for the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. I'll give you that. But they're real famous for a Tuesday night prayer meeting in the middle of the hood. I mean, this is the hood of hoods there in Brooklyn. He's got this church, this white guy and his wife, and they began a prayer meeting on Tuesday nights. A thousand to two thousand people come every Tuesday night and they pray. And they broke through and seen thousands of addicts saved and born, a, just a powerful deal, and it's all prayer. He was preaching in a conference, and he asked this question, why did the sermon become the centerpiece of the church service when the Lord declared that we would be a house of prayer? Now, we're pro-sermon, pro-word, I want to say that again, but that we... I, I put this on Facebook as a smarty, you know, snarky little thing. I don't know if anybody saw But it says, it is important to note that the church was born in the midst of a prayer meeting, not a preaching meeting. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. The Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost in the middle of a prayer meeting. They'd been praying for 10 to 14 days. And then Peter preached to explain the manifestation that happened. And I've got the rest. Uh, that we've trained a church to sit around preachers preaching, but now not how to boldly come before the throne of grace in prayer explains, I think, our divided and anemic condition in Christianity today. So I'm all in on this, is what I want to say. I'm all in on the church is supposed to be a house of prayer. I think it's a revolution that's got to happen, and it's culture. It changes the way we think. We, we got a little bit of when we sit around preachers and we think about thoughts, it's, it's got us to where we're kind of this way. We're horizontal, and we don't come in the room. Why we sang before you came in here, we're doing this in Wichita, too, having a blast, is we'd go about an hour before before the equipping meeting ever begins, literally getting 100 plus people in for a prayer meeting is people walk into a culture of prayer. We want you to walk in going this way, <laughs> not going this way. And then are you going to stimulate me with some good inspiring thoughts today? I mean, we're not, we want to train people how to pray. I've got my little babies, my eight-year-old, my 11-year-old, and I'm out in my courtyard, and we got Psalms 23. We did it yesterday, and I'm like, Josh and Pate, I want you to pick a verse, and I want you to pray right now with Dad. I want you to apply that verse. So uh, I can't remember one of them. I think it was Pate said, 
I'm doing verse five, dad. Here I go. And she did. Father, thank you that even though Hazel Smith walks through the valley of the shadow of death, she need not fear because you're with her. I was like, oh, that was good. She took a Bible verse and applied it to a sister that was in. I was like, now I'm discipling them. I could teach them how to go to church and sit still and be still, but actually getting her to engage with the Bible, the living God to get answers, that's a powerful thing. And you can do this. I'm begging for you to take your kiddos and train them how to, here, look at Psalms 23. I can't remember what Josh did. Josh did something that was awesome. It was really short, but he, he took another verse and applied it in, in, in a way to a person. And it was such a powerful thing. And so I just think we ought to train people how to do this because this is really the core of who we are. And we've got to get beyond the relegating of prayer to the little 30-minute meeting before we get to the real service and the little side deal we do before we do the business meeting when our, our identity is this. When God comes to Jacob and says, you're no longer Jacob, supplanter, th- manipulator, you're going to be, what's his name, everybody? Israel, prince, blessed, my anointing upon you. That's a big deal. When God calls somebody a name, it's a big thing, and we got to grapple with that. And so it's my mission to not only start thousands of prayer meetings, and I'm in for a prayer movement in Kansas that involves 100,000 people, blah, 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 but I just want to see the whole church have a revolution to where she becomes a house of prayer. And we're, we're ready to engage our hearts. And again, I don't know how many prayer meetings that is. I'm not going to judge that. I don't, I'm done doing that. I don't know how many times, but I know a little bit what it looks like when a human being, a disciple, is walking in a spirit of prayer, when a couple in a home has got a culture of prayer, when a, when a church is walking in a culture of prayer, okay, it, it, it's got a culture, it's got a flavor about it. It's got the presence and government of the spirit. It's got a vulnerability about it um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a powerful thing. And so um, I got more on this, but I'm not going to do it. Um, I just want to pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. God, we thousands of prayer meetings in El Dorado up in that building we, and all around the city. And um, we've prayed for revival and we're praying for you. And here we are today and you're still teaching us. And so I thank you for my precious ones. I, these precious ones are yours that I don't, I don't want to speak down. I want to partner with them. And God, I want to inspire and say your word. But God, I pray we'd hear your voice say that we are a house of prayer. It's not some gimmick, not some unique thing. We're just really striving for how we're eternally going to do. We're going to interact with our God eternally. And we're called to do that now, to be a place where his glory and his government. So, Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit that you teach us how to pray. His disciples had been with you a couple years, and they never asked how to preach. How do we pray like you? And so, God, I pray grace for daddies and mommies, for babies in this room, for grandparents. I'm asking for us as a family. I pray the spirit of prayer hit those that weren't able to hear today, and they're going to watch this later. I'm asking that you, as we reset and we're done with just doing church service, we pray this would look less like a church service and much more like a prayer meeting. And you know what that means. We'll give that to you. But, God, I pray for people whose hearts are turned toward you in Jesus' name. Amen. I got to get my car in two minutes, but wait. Real quick, look at Amy. She's ready to go. So when we 
are praying or we mean a spirit of prayer, we first mean your heart by faith is engaging and looking to God. Does everybody know what I mean by that? You're looking at me right now, right? You're looking at, hopefully, paying somewhat attention to what I'm doing, okay? That's you going here. That, that's fine. And I'm trying to say things that make a pathway to him, but that's not necessarily a spirit of prayer, meaning a spirit of prayer begins with a heart that's lifting and engaging and then beginning to speak to God, and it doesn't matter how flowery your language is. I got a ton of Bible verses in my head, but I'm not a better prayer than someone in here that maybe knows one verse. If I know a thousand verses, but you know one verse that's anointed and in Jesus' name you can pray, it's just power. I promise you, the maker of heaven and earth is leaning forward, waiting for you to whisper to him, waiting for you to groan to him, and he wants to release his presence and his peace upon you as you begin to speak to him, okay? And so, I don't have time to do a lab time. I thought I was going to, but I'm going to get out of here. But I just want to plead with you to turn your hearts and ask the question, that, teach me how to pray. I've been, I've been in there for 50, I've been 30 years in the Lord, 40 years. I don't know what it is, but Lord, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray when I'm alone. Teach me how to pray in my home. Teach me how to pray with my family. Teach the, our family how to really pray and be together. Revive my prayer life. And I'm telling you, that's a prayer in the will of God and for the glory of God. Does this make sense, everybody? Amen? Yay, El Dorado. So good to be here. Bless you. Hi, John.